So you have to move these tables for the whiskey quickies and things. Well, I mean, these here. these are gone after the recording season. So mm. oh, for whis- okay. whiskey quickies, it's just like, I just I put this on top of the bar stools and mm-hmm. just run the microphones around and yeah. put the tripod there and cameras and blankets. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty much everything except the tables. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, some people will say that we're currently experiencing a bourbon shortage. However, if you go to your local store, you'll see it's quite the opposite. There are walls of bourbon, and with so many labels, it's hard to know where everything comes from. To help me dig through this topic, I've invited Chad and Sarah from It's Bourbon Night to join the show. We talk about how they met and how they've grown their YouTube channel into one of the premier places on the internet to get informative opinions on the latest whiskey releases, as well as the favorites amongst many YouTubers, such as lists and top tens. Well, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Evan Favalci. I hope I said that right, Favalci, uh, who writes on uh, fredminnick.com. A well-known store in Chicago recently released an E.H. Taylor single barrel pick. The store made it a requirement for the bottle to be opened in the store to be allowed to purchase the pick. It seemed to be the topic of debate on whether or not this is a good thing for the consumer. While the action is clearly a fight against the secondary market, is there a legal aspect of whether or not They can make this a requirement. Open container laws come into question as well, as well as the consumer would be transporting an open bottle of alcohol. Uh, He goes on to talk about, you know, how this to combat the secondary market and finishes with something I like. Uh, Flippers are always going to (laughs) flip. Well, Evan, I have to say that this is not new there's a store in Minnesota called Shorewood Liquors. You might have seen my uh, social media's post about them in the last few months. They had a fire and a flood at the same time and basically are in the middle of inventory hell. But Stephen Shackleton would get allocated bottles and he would require people to open them. Now, if he knew the customer and trusted them, uh, there wouldn't be any kind of an issue so I, I I think that's really what it comes down to is the is the retailers are in, are in a tough position, and they're trying to do what they can to stop the secondary market. However, what they're doing may just be as illegal. It's going to vary per market, but according to federal law, at the time of the sale of a bottle, there has to be a tamper proof seal on it. There has to be something there. That shows that the the bottle had not been tampered with. You know, it'd be some kind of closure, whether it be a stamp or, you know, foil or plastic over it. It has to be sold that way. So I think I think where the gray area is here is and I, I really do think it will depend on every market. But from a federal perspective, from my understanding of, of the law. If you make an agreement with someone at the point of purchase, that's an that's an agreement. But they did if if you have already made the transaction, you've already given them the money, and you know the then the retailer and I think is probably off the hook in terms of like violating some kind of federal code because they did not sell you something that was tampered with. However, local and state laws are going to be very different. You know there is that aspect of like open container but once the the bottle is in your possession in individual's possession you know for the most part i mean it's out of the hands of of the retailer it's no longer their ownership so that would fall onto the individual but i i don't i don't know how i feel about the practice and i'm not a lawyer so i can't speak to how uh, legal it is. I'm just giving you my very layman's interpretation of the federal code when it comes to bottle sales. But again, this is this is like one small thing that people are trying to do to combat the secondary. And at the end of the day, I think this hurts the retailers more than it 
than it combats the secondary. I mean, there's retailers uh, who don't even bother bother selling the um, selling their stuff to the public. They just call up, you know, their elite customers and say, "Hey, I got a case of EH Taylor. You want it?" You know, so I, I think retailers have all found their way to deal with it, and nobody can figure out how to do it right. And that's just the state of the world. Like you said, Evan, flipper's going to flip. So maybe we just accept it and move on and try to have a good time at bourbon. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you're like Evan and you have a thought-provoking idea, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and let me know your uh, idea. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Till next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky. And you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny here today riding solo, but I get to have some friends of mine that are going to be joining the show. And I remember I met this couple for the first time at Bourbon and Beyond. God, it was actually, I think, one of the... It was the second Bourbon Beyond, maybe? Maybe it was the first one. I can't remember. It was, it was a while ago. And I had the opportunity to kind of meet them. And that's kind of when our, our paths crossed for the first time. And ever since then, I've been able to kind of watch their journey of what they've been able to grow inside of a YouTube audience. And they have a lot of really good takes. They have great reviews. They've got a great candor back and forth with one another. I'd hope so because they're, you know, married and everything like that. So at least they get to kind of, their presence gets to be able to kind of show on and off the screen. And it kind of gets to show a little bit more about them as well. So today on the show, I'm joined by Chad Perkins and Sarah Algram from It's Bourbon Night. So Chad and Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. I, I didn't realize like how, you know, when you're sitting in the same room with someone and they're doling these compliments, how instinctively, I think both you and I, Sarah, just kind of like, look down, <laughs> don't me? make eye contact. <laughs> what are we supposed to do here? Oh, this is so nice. Just nod. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. I am ah, great. You are correct about that. <laughs> yes, yes. No, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of those things that we did. We, we first crossed paths. Uh, I, what Bourbon and Beyond was that? I think the first was... one. Oh, was it? I think it was the year it rained. Yes, it was. Yeah, the year with all the mud. The and, first year it was unbearably mm. hot. The second year it was torrential downpour. And then the third year it was like nice. Yes, I remember that because it was, I remember it was that year that 
we, we were all towards like the front left of the main stage mm-hmm. and Blake was sitting there eating like a plate of ribs because somehow he got into the VIP or backstage <laughs> right. area, yeah. just acted like he was there. And all of a sudden he comes back out and he's got a plate of ribs and mashed potatoes. And we're like, dude, where did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Legend. I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, do we meet each other before that at a Four Roses uh, 130th? Where they had tents in the parking lot and the the line was snaked around. I remember we met there. Is maybe we just remet all these places. I see now it's all too much bourbon. Kind of I clouds know, clouds the mind here. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those two times. Though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When people ask me to recall when I met them, I'm like, was I drinking? Because I <laughs> couldn't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fuzzy memories. That's how it all starts. Right. Yes. Yes. So before we kind of dive into it, I kind of want to understand and give our audience a, a little bit of a education of about well talk about it's bourbon night so anybody that out there is with your 80 plus thousand subscribers who hasn't heard of you by now but kind of talk about your channel okay well yeah we she gave gave the nod she gave the nod Uh, okay (laughs) oh don't worry i'll take this there um (laughs) we've been doing it for going on six years now and uh, so 2016 is when we started and it really was just born out of something that we were already doing uh i was inviting sarah over the house and we would have bourbon nights and it's something I started doing with, you know, friends years and years and years before. But Sarah kind of became my new bourbonite buddy, I guess. And I eventually said like, hey, let's, what do you think about putting this on YouTube? And I was uh, like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do you want to su- subject yourself to the comments of the internet? No, I do not. But I guess eventually she decided yes. So that's what, that's what we did. And it, really, it was just like, we're doing this anyway. I have the video equipment. You know, she's got a background in marketing. Like, so we could maybe make a little go of this. But it was just for fun. We didn't think it would ever become a career, which it is now for us. But yeah, I remember us being like, can you imagine if we ever had a thousand subscribers? Can you imagine like a thousand people sitting in a room who wanted to listen to us? Like, <laughs> that was just a dream at that point. Yeah. Do you, and now here we are. Bigger. Okay. What was the first video? The first video was a big undertaking. It was 50 bourbons under $25. Holy smokes. That yeah. was, you're not joking. I think right it was 64. 64 bourbons. No, 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 it was I'm, 50. We, right. Later, we redid it and did 64. <laughs> we were like, why not? What, let's, we can let's, find another 14 more bourbons. Let's this bigger. Which was absolutely insane because at the time, like we hadn't built up a huge stock of bourbons. I mean, we just started doing it. So we had to buy 50 bourbons under $25, which took a while because, I mean, there was no like company account. It was all... <laughs> Just out of the wallet, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so that's we, why some of them are like 200 mils. Anything that was available in a 200 mil, we were getting that <laughs> for sure. So that episode is what eventually became known as Flight Fights, where we do four flights, you know, blind, and it was actually the 16th flight. It was the results of a, basically a March Madness style bracket. So our first episode was technically the 16th episode. Although the others never aired, it was a conclusion. It was the finals. So it, it took us a while. So that's, I mean, we could have technically started in 2015 if we had said, we're just going to film all of these and put them out. But we we're thinking like, that would be boring. No one wants to see that. So we'll just wait till the finals. So that was our, that was our first episode. So are there any other videos that just don't make the light of day as well? There have been some. Yeah, there have been some. Not recently. <laughs> More in the now early... It's, now it's like, how much content can we create? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now, now that you found your groove as well. Right. Different. But like in the early days, we were just, you know, we didn't live together, so we would just record whenever we could. And so whenever we would get together, we would be like, okay, well, what bottles do we have that we could open for an uncorking? And one would be like a barrel pick from a local bourbon group. And we'd be like, okay, well, we'll shoot that. And, you know, we would batch shoot four or five things at a time. And then as things kind of started to pick up, we were like, wait, nobody wants to see this video of this review of a barrel pick that it's only you know 150 bottles that no one can get so like things like that just kind of stayed locked in the files forever yeah well <laughs> yeah. It's, it's when you have this little small seclusive thing of yeah only 180 bottles got out cool thanks for the review people yeah right. we're never we're yeah. never gonna we're never yeah. gonna find that I exactly mean, have you figured out like that magic formula on the things that are always going to perform well or do you not want to give away your secrets Chad here? tells me about his formula every single week yeah <laughs> it's no secret i mean all you have to do is go to a channel and sort their videos by most viewed and you will see the trend. Top tens, lists. Mm-hmm. Top tens, lists, bests, worsts, anything with the ists in it. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry for the sibilance there, listeners. <laughs> and then Buffalo Trace. Anything from that distillery. It's like Midas touch. And yeah. yeah. Uh, you get the views. So I think with us, it's sort of a balancing act of giving the people what they want, as we've seen historically from views, but also not delving into like clickbait or let's only put stuff out about that because we want to get the views, views, views. So, it, you know, it's sort of like a... It's a balancing act. It is. For yeah. sure. Because yeah. we want to still bring value, but it's hard to not formulate things, the ideas that you have uh, to fit those molds that you know work, especially when you want to bring the stuff that has value to the most people possible. Yeah. So you had mentioned earlier, Chad, about succumbing yourself to the brutality that could be the internet of comments. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to just touch on that a little bit because the internet's not the nicest place around. So kind of talk about the early days. Have you been able to combat it? Are there, is it just like a thing you got to put on your own like super thick shield of skin here and just kind of trudge on? Like kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think I was definitely the one who was the most hesitant in the beginning just because like as a woman putting yourself on the internet is I think I've been trained mentally to expect the, the comments that you're going to get. I have to say I was extremely surprised that it actually ended up being like 99% in the opposite direction. I have never felt so much praise <laughs> from the <laughs> online community before. I feel like it maybe went a little bit of the other way. I think they're a little harder on Chad than they are on me, mm. which makes me feel bad. But every now and then, of course. They try to say, sir, you could have done better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say a lot of things. I'm like, wow, I you are gotten old, that, sir. Got, I haven't gotten that comment before. Uh, like, uh, yeah, Chad, you're out of your league or whatever. And I always like, do well, them. I'm like, shh, don't it's, you listen. It's okay. But, yeah. you, but you keep those ones in a safe pile, right? Those are just like, we'll, we'll go back. We'll go back and read these. In yeah, list. right. We, <laughs> yeah. we try not to delete anything. We'll just reply and be like, thanks for taking the time out of your day to share this sentiment which was rude <laughs> but you know what can you do it's just the nature of the internet but yeah i mean there's obviously like a few that come every now and then that are it's like they know exactly what to what button to push to make you feel really bad about yourself but like you said you kind of just build up a thick shield i mean like i try to think about what's the person who's writing this comment doing with their day like to spend the time to say that to me i'm like eh, i'm not really worried about what they think so i remember our first like just bonkers over the top crazy bad comment and i've i've saved it because uh, you know on youtube if there's a lot of expletives in it it gets flagged for review so i have it on the back end of youtube still sitting there and i'll never delete it because every once in a while i like to go back and, your and read it yeah. uh it started out with like calling us shills you i knew exactly which one it was you shills you blah 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 but I took it as a compliment because he was like, you're slick production and this, you're getting paid by the distilleries. And I'm you like, sold out. I was like, I just saw that you like our production. You think we have a good production. <laughs> and uh, because of it, we must be getting paid. And this was back, it might have been before we even had a Patreon page, honestly. Like we were making it, I mean, it took us a couple years before we even turned on monetization on, on YouTube, you know. So we were literally making nothing. So I was like, cool <laughs> <laughs> chad was like so you're saying you think it looks good <laughs> like sweet but that's that's uh, topic wise that's the one thing that always kind of gets me is when people are like you're obviously getting paid by the distillery or blah 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 like those are things like no why because then you're like attacking our uh credibility credibility yeah like we would never and also Okay, Buffalo Trace doesn't need anyone to pay anyone to they don't to sell their products or whoever the distillery is. It's like, no, don't you know, don't do that. Say what you will about Sarah, but no, <laughs> <laughs> but leave my credibility out. Leave there. my credibility. That's where I draw yeah. the line. That integrity. Keep the integrity, integrity. intact. Integrity. Well, yes. I mean, because as soon as you take money from a distillery to do a review, you know, this review of Buffalo Trace brought to you by Buffalo Trace. Like <laughs> now like, you've hmm. okay for so for one small paycheck you've now ruined your entire credibility. So now your channel's gone down the toilet. Like why would we do that to ourselves? Yeah, we've had to kind of reel that back over time as well of sure. not reviewing things that are sponsors of the program because mm -hmm. we don't want to look like we're in bed with them or anything like yeah. that. We've got to be we got to be careful and keep the integrity of of the show and at least be honest and if we as bad as it sounds, if we keep getting more sponsors, we're like, oh, we got to keep doing less reviews. But that's actually, right. a, it's okay for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we yeah. didn't really come out to be a, a review kind of, of podcast. It's just people started asking for it. Mm -hmm. When you all started, what was your idea? Like when you said, like, this is where I can see us going. Like, this is this is the journey I see us kind of moving towards. Did you have a, an end goal or has it been continual pivots? I think in the beginning, we had an idea of what we thought the channel was going to be. Because actually, if you go back and you watch the first episode we kind of talk about like i even think 
you know, we have this uh, chalkboard that hangs in the background uh, in a frame. And in the beginning, we had like Chad's top five favorite bourbons, Sarah's top five favorite bourbons. And we said, you know, eventually as things change, we'll come and we'll erase and we'll update this top five. And as, as we progress on our journey and but look forward to interviews with uh, master distillers and industry experts. And that's not, you know, that's more like your all's field. You guys bring on lots of great guests. And I think that is more of a digestible thing in a podcast. But for video, you know, talking heads of just interviewing people, it isn't where we ended up going with. We decided more to, it was reviews or it was blind flights. And I remember kind of a time where I asked Sarah, I was like, do you think people are tuning in for the whiskey or like what we have to say about the whiskey and you were like i think they're tuning in because of what we have to say about it and i'm like that's weird yeah <laughs> so it kind of like okay so we're not going to do all this we're every week we're going to be talking to a master distiller you know that that type of thing we're just going to be doing with what has seemed to be working so far and it's been that i think that was a weird realization for us because like you said we thought we were going to go in that direction and then it's such a strange thing when you're presented with information that suggests that like you might be the reason that people are tuning in because we're two people who like don't take ourselves too seriously like i wouldn't say we don't think highly of ourselves but not like that you know so it was You're kind of pompous. a yeah. right it was a weird discussion to be like do you think it's do you think it's us <laughs> <laughs> i'm flattered um, right batting some eyelashes we just, over here yeah. <laughs> right we kind of had to go based off of the feedback that we were getting and the feedback that we were getting was kind of we want to see you guys and we want to see when we bring guests on the show we did not get a lot of positive responses when we brought on guests early on. So we kind of learned like, okay, I guess it must be something about us. Yeah. I mean, you guys have a great dynamic back and forth and I think it really does show through in the channel. Is that something that you all have perfected over time or did it feel natural at the very beginning? I mean, I got to say, I can't imagine doing this with anybody but Chad, just because like, I feel like we have developed kind of like that rhythm and that back and forth. But in the beginning, I must have been horrible to work with in general just because I feel like I was always frozen like I just was never an in front of the camera kind of a person and Chad is very much that type of a person so I took a lot of coaching I think to get to where I could not freeze up on camera or like actually look at the right camera <laughs> yeah that's be able nothing, to uh, hold a conversation going back to our first episode again like yeah Sarah is usually it's the deer in headlights look but it's the deer in headlights look at the wrong camera. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, camera one or camera two? Camera one, what, camera two. What, what, camera, what am I looking what at? Am I looking yeah. at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is Chad, are you the producer on that back end too? You're like, all right. Or is at this point, you're like, I know which camera to look at. I know what I'm doing. Is is that that sort of rhythm is really yeah. mastered now. Mm -hmm. More so now. I mean, still every now and then we just to let each other know, like, okay, we're switching to this one. Yeah, you know, we'll, come we'll back, kind of we're say. We're going to be on the wide and just, just for a reminders. second. And then we're going to be on the tight for the rest or, or, or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess I'd had a little bit more experience because I had done a, another YouTube channel for about five years before this with a friend. We talked to touring bands and things. So I'd kind of cut my teeth on that a little bit. So I had some experience and a little acting here and there with, with, with some, some stuff. So I was, yeah, I was used to the camera and I like the camera. <laughs> he does like the camera yeah, a lot. Just, just He'll terror. always write episodes that include skits and stuff. And I'm like, please don't make me do a skit. I don't want to act. I'm not good at it. I love the, I love the skits though. Oh I think, yeah. Granted, I think that some people, I've seen the comments are like, oh, this is so cringe. Yeah. But I love it. I think that's just, it's fun because there's not anybody else that's really doing this. There's, right. in, in this space in a bourbon, there's really, you got to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody else is taking that same approach to it. And I think I remember exactly which one it was. It was when the antique collection came mm. out and you all had the, the, the opening of the box and then the light kind of glowed out Pulp from there. Pulp Fiction one. Yeah. 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 And then this year for it, we did uh, a, a Few Good Men, the courtroom scene. That one was harder. Take off. <laughs> and, and, but you're completely right, Kenny. There was uh, lots of comments about like, ooh, Chad, oh, cringe. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I know. But We're just playing. I'm not. Okay. I'm not Jack Nicholson. I will freely admit that. <laughs> No hurt feelings. That one was hard for me. He was like, I need you to be angrier. And I was like, I am, look at me. I'm <laughs> not, not an angry not, person. You're bubbly. That's that's the only way you got. Yeah. I think I yelled a little bit and I was like, Chad, that's the most you're going to get out of me. I can raise my volume. You did your best Tom Cruise. And you're about the same height. I did my height, best. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chad. You're probably taller. So the other part of, of having a channel and, and growing it as well is that we all, we all kind of feel this is that there's a lot of samples that come in through the mail and you're continually feeling like inundated with all this sort of stuff to get through. How do you all define or 
try to position and say, okay, well, I know when this is coming in, does it go into a queue or do you like, oh, okay, this one jumps in the queue. How do you all define? Because we're, we're, we kind of do the same exact thing on this side of the table too. That's a good question. Um, we're actually talking about now, like we need to redo our whole system just because it has become a bit overwhelming. Like, and it always feels like such a weird thing to talk about because we're so fortunate to have encountered this problem, but it is like a okay, well, we got all this stuff now. What do we do with it? You know, we only put out so many episodes a week and we only put out so much content. So how do we get all of these things in? Thank goodness for live streams. Because, you know, like a distillery sending you something like a media sample is one thing and that's cool. But people passing along samples to you of their favorite stuff. I mean, that's another thing. That's, you know, they have skin in the game there. That's a bottle that they purchased that they're sharing with you or even a full bottle or something. So... So we definitely love trying those. And those usually go on our live. But we have, and by the time this episode comes out, we might, hopefully we're doing this, future us. Uh, we wanted to have a... a Looking back yeah. few months from now and be like, oh, we're we still we not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to start a show called Short and Sweet. And it only revolves around samples. Sample is short and it's sweet that someone gave it to us. So, I'll chat. you know, yeah, horrible. short and sweet shorter episodes but just off of off of a sample so hopefully we're doing that by the time this is out there if we're not you all hold us accountable yes. you write in and say we're short and sweet because because <laughs> the lives are actually pretty easy to do there's not a whole lot right. of post-production stuff it's mm -hmm. just like get on drink let it know our thoughts read some comments answer your questions thanks everybody exactly. have, a good, yeah. have a good night yeah yeah and we're getting close to our 200th live again sorry i keep mentioning things that are like time sensitive but Maybe by the time this is out, we will have done our 200th live. Sorry. No, it's all good. I mean, the other part is that, I mean, and from a, a crewability standpoint of views, once you do lives, they don't, do they really have much of a life after that? And like the, the SEO ranking thing of what have you found as sort of like your, you know, your YouTube analytics background, that's kind of like looking at this as saying, okay, we're going to figure out, we're going to talk about this brand here. We're going to do this one alive. We're going to do whatever. Yeah. They, they pop with views for about a week and then they kind of, yeah, they just go away. I mean, they're still searchable. If you Google something, you know, a live will come up, but it's not a very good chance that someone's going to click on something that says an hour and 10 minutes That's true. to dig through. And there've been some times where we were like, well, this was a really good segment of live. Let's lift that out and release it as its separate video. But you know, that's just a, a logistics thing. Do you have the time to do that? It's or do you want to move on to like Friday's episode, which is, you know, this big thing or whatever. So Maybe when we can grow the empire, we can hire people to do that type of thing. Yeah, and then, absolutely. Oh, man, the content then. Yeah, we're at that <laughs> weird point where we have like so many opportunities and ideas for things that we want to do, but it's still just the two of us. We're kind of in that place where it's like, oh, do we bring somebody else into the mix, like another editor or something to help to be able to put out more content? Or do we maintain like, you know, just keep it small, keep yeah. it like homegrown? Yeah. And it's always figuring out how you can scale and take it to the next round. But yes, usually, usually money helps make that happen as well. So money that's, is nice. That's, yes. and that helps. Can we have some? And that's, Please. And that's, I think it also goes to, I also want to put it out there is that everybody, and I'm sure you've, you've heard it before. I mean, we've gotten chastised and like, this is supposed to be a passion, a hobby. You're not supposed to get paid for it. And I'm like, it's a lot of time that goes into everything in the production and every, I mean, heck, I see the videos that you put. I'm amazed at how good the quality of the production of the video that comes out and how fast you will turn that around because I can't do something like that. And it takes skills like that is a, that is a skill that is easily worth something. So it's one of those things that we're fortunate on this side as well, that people love to be able to help pay and support through Patreon and everything like that to the podcast. And so it's just one of those things that I'm just glad there are people out there that value the time and effort that goes into this. Cause yeah. yeah. Listen, guys, this is a Sure SM7B. <laughs> it's not cheap. Uh, I'm sure you've got the Cloud Lifter. That's that's a Mixpre 10. That is not cheap. Like, <laughs> you guys are hearing quality audio, and it ain't cheap. So everything comes with a price. It comes yeah, with a price. Yeah. But the other reason I kind of want to get back to talking about the samples is also kind of talking about like our second subject for the day is, and it's kind of about like, do we start seeing an, an overcrowding of brands on the market? I think we're getting to the point now where we have our legacy brands. We've got our, our Mictors, our Buffalo Trace, our Old Forester, but each one of those are they're they're trying to like put their tentacles out even further. They're trying to even create more and more little small limited editions. And then you've got all the MGPs of the world. You've got everybody that's got investor barrels. You got 
podcasters coming out their own. Like it's it's <laughs> it's like a, a nonstop flood of things that are coming out. So I kind of get your your thoughts on like where is the market going and, and do we feel like we're getting saturated at this point? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Kind of talking about like our second subject for the day is, and it's kind of about like, do we start seeing an, an overcrowding of brands on the market? I think we're getting to the point now where we have our legacy brands. We've got our, our Michters, our Buffalo Trace, our Old Forester. But each one of those, are they're, they're trying to like put their tentacles out even further. They're trying to even create more and more little small limited editions. And then you've got all the MGPs of the world. You've got everybody that's got investor barrels. You got podcasters coming out their own. Like it's it's <laughs> it's like a, a nonstop flood of things that are coming out. So I kind of get your your thoughts on like where is the market going and, and do we feel like we're getting saturated at this point? Yeah. I mean I definitely think there's some level of oversaturation going on. Like we get notes almost on a weekly basis that's like, hey, have you what do you know about this insert XYZ bourbon that I've never heard of. And I'm like, I have literally never heard of that. And my job is that I should have heard of that. <laughs> um, and I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and so then they'll tell me, oh, it's this, this and that. And I'm just like, man, it just feels like every day there's something new. And like, I don't know how you could keep up. And how, are, when you have that many options, like how are people supposed to choose, you know, because there's, they have a finite amount of money to spend on the stuff. So I don't know. I struggle with it, though, because then there's there's groups of people who don't have access to things like they're never going to get access to, again, Buffalo Trace products or whatever. So they need more options. But then how do they choose between all the options? Right. I think at some point for me, it comes down to how transparent they're being so that when someone someone can make an educated choice. But, yeah, it's overwhelming with all the marketing and the lack of transparency in some cases or, you know, you're choosing between five different things. But like you said, they're all MGP. So does it really matter mm. which one you choose? Mm -hmm. You're just choosing based off the label. Yeah, it'd be like your five-year MGP tastes a lot better than this other five-year MGP. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I think we had a great run. Like that's yeah. that's always the thing I think people lean on is it was such a great run of barrels. Like I don't think I've had a bad run of barrels right. from MGP that I've been like, ah, yeah. I don't know about these uh, these barrels. You know, like it just seems like one of those things. It's just that people lean on that. Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit to that just that we've seen personally because, you know, we've done three picks of, of Nulu now and that's MGP. We went on barrel day. So they were getting 50 barrels delivered and we sort of had, you know, run, run of the place. So we did literally find this one that we absolutely thought was, you know, five year, four month barrel strength MGP. And honestly, it's one of our favorite picks we did last year. So the, I can see where people are coming, where they're coming from, but I can also see, 
your point of like, but there isn't really, there might be some that are a little bit above others, but there's not really going to be a bad one out there. And what, why is this one that's five years, $40. And this one over here is five years and it's $80. And this one over here is $120. And there can be such a big, big gap between them. And how do you explain it? So it is tough. Yeah, you have that. And, and don't want to get it wrong. MGP is also a great product. Five to six yeah. years is a, is a really good mark for it. And a lot of people are are trending towards that. I just feel that you get to the point where, as Chad said, like how do you differentiate between the price differences? But it's also getting to the point where us as in the bourbon media world and even of our listeners, your subscribers, they're smart. Like these are smart. These are these are bourbon geeks. Like they know what's going on. They can kind of read through the lines and they can see exactly like, oh, okay, this is just another source MGP product. But for the most part of the the consumer market out there, I don't think they know the difference. And it's just going to be a storytelling kind of like who wins at the storytelling and mm-hmm. who wins at the label. Yes. At this point. Yes. Who is the best ad agency? Who has the prettiest bottle? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But to kind of give a little bit of perspective, this is recent in my brain. We talked with Bernie Lubbers recently, and he talked about when he got into the business, which is 2005, there were 10 distilleries in Kentucky, one in Indiana, one in Virginia. Now there's 69 distilleries in Kentucky and like 2,500 craft distilleries across the U.S. or whatever it is. It's some crazy number. So how it has exploded is is crazy. And one thing I was wondering about is it seems like MGP is the is the place to go for non-producing distillers, right? But in five years, will that change? I mean, I know they will always still be a powerhouse, but like with Bartstown Bourbon Company, with their stuff getting older and they're providing mash bills for so many other people and other distilleries that are sourcing, like I know Wilderness Trail's doing a little bit of it and all these other ones. Like, do we think MGP won't be like the go-to source in like five years or are they, I mean, they produce what, 12 mash bills and that's sort of their business model, except what Remus and, um, I don't even think the they use eight sand anymore. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember it's, what the, it's blank on me too. Rossville? Yeah. Just say Rossville. Ross, yeah. Ross yeah. Union. Yeah, yeah. Rossville Union. So besides those, like that's their model. They make stuff for other people. Well, see, I, I feel that you're right. It, it, it's going to have to move only because people have seen how successful, I'll, I'll say Ross and Squibb is because everybody, yeah, it's, Ross it's, Squibb. A, it's a funny name. It's a funny mm, name. I know. It's, it's, it's fun to say. It's yeah, very popular it really sounding. It really <laughs> is. So you see how successful that is. You see how successful Barstown Bourbon Company is. And there's a few other ones around the country that do nothing but contract distilling. And so they see this as an opportunity. It's like, it, it, I think that's also one of the things is once you get into the industry, you'll find out as soon as you buy a barrel of bourbon and you lay a barrel of bourbon down, that's a sunk cost. That's an inventory cost. You don't get to put that off as an expense. That is something that is just, you have to basically eat for the longest and longest time versus I could just put in a barrel and I could sell it tomorrow and I can use that cash to use an infusion to do whatever else that is that I want to do. So in regards of a business model, it makes a whole lot of sense to be able to do that. It also makes a whole lot of sense for, as you had mentioned, Chad, the other 2,500 craft distillers that are out there across the nation, they all have some free capacity of still time because not most places are probably running 24 hours a day. So what can you do? It's not like the equipment needs a rest, right? I mean, (laughs) it's not, it's not like you just go ahead and empty it, put it back in the still, like keep that process going. Like Mm -hmm. just keep it going, clean it out, start it over again. Three, three shifts, you know, three shifts. And so you can, you can offset the cost of those three shifts pretty quickly when you're selling your barrels at, at the very low end, seven hundred dollars a barrel. At the very high end, twelve hundred as a new make product. So you have the ability to sit there and and make money right there. So I definitely see the ability for other people to come in later in and establish those relations. It's kind of like what we did with Finger Lakes. Like they're not known. They're not a big contractor still. I don't think they do contract anybody else except for us. But we had this relationship, and we said we really love it. Can you make us some whiskey? Sure, I think we can do that. We get a lot of money in the door and we don't have to do anything else except store it for you. Perfect. And I think you're going to see that that explode. And that is only going to increase the amount of concentration that we're going to have with brands that are becoming out because of people like me. And now I'm giving away all my secrets. And so people are going <laughs> to go to you. have a whole podcast about giving away your, your secrets. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Yeah. Should this should this particular podcast be behind like a paywall or something? Maybe. Like, they do need to pay for your secrets. Two ninety nine. Yeah, that's ten percent for us. Yeah, All right. It's only two dollars ninety nine cents. We can't we can't charge <laughs> yeah, that much. No. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good question because this is all like leading my my brain to think like, you know, liquor stores have only so much space, right? There's only so much shelf space for things to live. And as we see things boom, and we see you know again more contract distillers being able to put out different brands craft distillery is popping up everywhere but then you have like the major distilleries putting out new expressions more limited edition stuff and they are a lot of them i feel like are still playing a bit of catch-up of you know all their stuff got crazy popular and now they need to change their production models or whatever to be able to put out more so like again going back to buffalo trace like building more warehouses being able to put out more stuff so you know, it's not as limited. What happens when everybody gets caught up in a couple of years and we're flooded with all this stuff? Like what ends up on the shelf at the end of the day? If there's only so many spaces available, like, I don't know, I guess I'm always just curious, like who makes that decision? How's that going to, there is going to be a big competition for the shelf spaces, especially at the, the smaller shops. What we've seen, I think in Kentucky is we've seen a huge shift. I remember the liquor barns when they started taking over the party marts and everything like that. Their bourbon aisles went from, uh, I should say, their bourbon aisle went to bourbon aisles. Right. That's, yes. that's what happened. <laughs> Only because they saw the shift in the, the trend in the consumer. And I think that's essentially probably what will happen everywhere else is that other products will start getting squeezed out. The gins that don't sell, the vodkas that are, there's too many of them. You got to figure out, well, what's my clientele? What are they into? What should we be able to carry? What are we going to offer? And so you've, you've got other stores around the country like Ace Spirits up in Minnesota yeah, I think Minnesota, Minneapolis area. And so they are very, like Justin's House of Bourbon. Well, of course, they have the bourbon in name, but they're very focused on providing the best sort of bourbon experience for their customers. And so I feel that it's going to have to not only just be a shift, of, there's not going to be just a finite amount. I think it'll be like kind of like an accordion. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll grow in and out based on the consumer demand, but it essentially will be on the retailer to figure out what is it I'm going to provide to my customers. Mm-hmm. But I do like your, your kind of take there. Well, and I wonder if in that scenario, does the oversaturation, you know, almost take care of itself? Because if we've got five brands that are essentially the same thing inside the bottle, does a retailer need to carry all five of them? If the consumer doesn't necessarily want it, or if they are gravitating towards one over the others because of the marketing, like, do you need to carry the others? I don't know. Like, I just wonder if... If that'll kind of sort itself out. Well, it's, it's going to be makes... based on the sales and the marketing. Right, yeah. exactly. Getting ready to say, yeah, it comes down to the the brand ambassadors for those brands. Like, you know, we we could be entering into sort of like a, um, a term is escaping me when uh, radio stations used to pay to get their songs played. Play boo or something like that. Pay to play? Pay to play. Something. Yeah, something like that. There was back in the, I don't know. It, it sounds like it would go with sure, Yeah, my, my <laughs> telecom degree is failing me now. Anyway, where they would, yeah, they would pay the radio stations and that's illegal, you know, but they would pay them to get their thing played so they could sell records. So like, are we going to, are, are, are uh, brand ambassadors going to be like making deals with, with chains or something, you know, put this on your shelf? I don't know. Okay. See, I mean, there is, there is a way to probably get around that at the wholesaler level to say, we'll give you an extra two points on your, you know, an extra 2%. Mm. on stuff like that to be able to take it off or a discount on a case buy. So that stuff already exists today. So it's already happening. It already exists today. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's not so much at the the brand ambassador level, greasing the palms of the <laughs> store owner by any means. Right. I guess that was, yeah. Chad's thinking like but, handshakes with $20 bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah, some Lakers thinking, tickets or something like that. I was that. thinking about more like the mom and pop. They don't really need to do that, the mom and pop. It's really just the big chains. It, it really is. And that's, but th- that already exists today in the, the three-tier system that you'll have wholesalers that will provide case discounts to certain retailers. <laughs> certain retailers get special privileges and everything like that. So that's, but that's a, that could be a whole other episode. But the other idea when we talk about the the kind of oversaturation of this market is, you know, Sarah, kind of coming back to what you were saying about all these different brands, all these different labels, all kind of being about the same thing. I think that the thing that is going to hurt the bourbon market the worst is what we probably saw about two to three years ago when we started seeing a little bit of explosion of craft brands come on and it immediately put a sour taste in people's mouth because they said, it's craft, it's crap, I'm not drinking it. Because it's your two-year-old whiskey for $80. You burn me once. I'm, I've learned my lesson. So now here in the next few years, when we start seeing a lot more of these barrels start coming online because they're four years old. Four years is kind of like the magic number that people 
turn around. They're like, okay, I've got millions of dollars invested in this. Let's turn around and start making some money. But you're going to start seeing this this shift where it's all going to start coming out and it's all going to be this mediocre Kentucky four-year-old bourbon unless somebody can figure out some way to tell a better story. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that is true. I just feel like there's a tolerance limit of what people are willing to take as far as like, like what you said. I mean, you kind of, you burned me once type of a thing of where they've learned that, you know, they're getting smarter. So they've learned that, you know, all, all these brands are sourcing the same stuff, charging different amounts for them. And they're not really doing anything to it. Right. With before they put it in the bottle and call it theirs. I think there's, depending on how you feel about finishes and stuff, some people could make an argument that like taking that whiskey and then finishing it or transforming it in some way makes it yours somehow. It's your, you know, a reflection of your vision of where you want your brand to go. And so they'll tolerate that, but they're not going to keep tolerating, you know, again, the five-year-old MGP in 20 different bottles with different labels on them. Or yeah, Chad's brought this up before, but like... It's my special blend of 36% and 21%. Right. Oh, you yes. Know, how long will they tolerate it? I don't know. But then there's also, you know, the higher end stuff where you've got, um, what was it, 15 year old All lots those 15 of 15 year old lots of Jim like Beam, Beam and, and Heaven Hill. Some that, are $100, some are $200. Yeah. Why? It's the same stuff. You didn't do anything to it. Like, they're just a different proofs. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah, people will just get irritated. You know, I think, I think people are already getting burned out on the whole like limited edition. When everything's collectible, nothing matters, you know? <laughs> I mean, it I know that's how I feel a bit. No, it is true. And it kind of mentioned earlier, like all the big distilleries are starting to stretch their tentacles. Everybody's coming out with new product lines and they're very much smaller amounts. But to give them credit is they kind of have to do that to continually stay inside of the consumer mind and stay inside of press releases. Because if you're just like, hey, Old Forester 96, we're still here. You can't, you, can't do, you, can't, you can't do that. We're still here. That's the tagline for the campaign. Yeah. You can still buy us. Yeah. Still for oh, sale. Reminds me it. of like uh, clerks. You know, yeah. but we're right. still, we're, believe me, we're open. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, open. but I mean, that's one of those things that I feel that there's still the opportunity. They have to be able to do that, but they also have more lots. They have experimentation. They have the ability to kind of create these one-offs because yes, we've all had Old Forester or 96 proof or 100 proof or whatever it is, or 86, whatever it is. But at some point you're like, okay, let's give people something different and we can make it limited and we can see the press release out of it. But once it's gone, it's gone. And I think you kind of, you're going to see this continual rotation happen. Is it going to burn people out? To a degree, but we're all suckers at the end of the day for mm -hmm. the marketing train. Yeah. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> I feel like this celebrity whiskey trend is also going to be, I mean, I feel like people are already a little hesitant about that, right? Like any celebrity can slap their name on anything and now it's, everybody should want it, right? But yeah, I think it's more, again, about transparency. It's like, how much are they involved? And, you know, do they really even enjoy whiskey or are they just trying to make a buck? I think we're seeing the same thing there. It's a very valid point. Yeah, I think you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see a slowdown of celebrities get into it. No, you're, you're going to, it's, it's going to, it's going to ramp up and because they have money. And, and here's the thing is most people, well, yeah, they have money, they're celebrities, right? But the other part is that this is a, a huge cash infusion type of business and it's usually not them spearheading it. They are a face of it. They might be a little behind it. They might have some sort of major investment into it, but for the most part, there is a team of people that take care of the day-to-day -day operations. They will post it on Instagram with their face next to it. But for the most part, maybe they'll do a little bit of blending here and there, mm -hmm. but then they'll say, all right, back to back to the people that know yeah. what they're doing over yeah. here if we're going to make this make this actually work and sell. Yeah, there's obviously ones who are more involved than others, you know, as we've seen. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's their publicist saying, you know, hey, what, what product do you want? Is it uh, headphones? Is it sneakers? Uh, I want to be, I want to be in the alcohol. Uh, business, but I think there's been too many vodkas that have, you know, so hey, let's how about whiskey? That's yeah. doing well, right? Bourbon? Yeah, so it's it's completely that. It's just, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And, and for the most part, we also have to understand that a lot of these celebrities that are getting into it, they're not what you would say, like the up and coming celebrities. They are celebrities that are kind of, on, I want to say on their, their 
downhill or their tail end, but they're not in, they're not A-listers, which you would consider too much anymore. And so they're trying to figure out how do we get this more residual income coming for the rest of my life? Because right. I'm not going to be going on tour forever. I'm not getting starred in the next Netflix documentary or special or anything like that. And so you got to kind of make hay while the sun shines or, you know, anything right. like that. So, yeah. yeah. I'm wanting, I w- would want some A-celebrities, A-list celebrities to, to do a bourbon. Like, I really wish... Brian Cranston and uh, Jesse Pinkman, that's not his real name, Aaron, Aaron Paul, uh, had gone into bourbon instead they do of tequila. tequila. I know. It's like, why tequila? We want some I mean, A-list. their show was set in the desert, so. That's true. It it yes. Okay. It's, not, it's not like, oh, I don't know, drinking bourbon in the desert's not too comfortable, <laughs> but I'm sure, sure drinking tequila is not too great either. No. Okay, where's the justified, what's the justified actor on The Mandalorian? I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm blanking on that wow. one too. blanking. Deadwood. Uh, you, mm. you, t- you hit record and then the <laughs> recall of your brain just goes away. Anyway, that guy, you know, he was unjustified. He should but do a bourbon. Do you want that, though? Because I feel well, like... Well, yeah, you're right. No, so don't. <laughs> I feel like the majority of them are just sourced or, like you said, they're worked on by not the person. So it's, it's not even really a representation of them. And I feel like the appeal of the bottle is just going to be to people who are fans of that person or that music group or whatever. And so it's like you buy the bottle because like of fandom, but then does it sit on a shelf like and just with your memorabilia collection or whatever? Like, I just feel like everybody else is like not going to drink it or I'm not going to pay $120 for the bottle of what really is $40 stuff just because it has your face on it or your name tied to it. And, but I feel like that's a good example of the oversaturation or like what we're talking about in this conversation where people are already very wise to that. It's a little bit of a grift, right? But then we're seeing it minus the celebrity names, just people who want to open distilleries or like launch brands in general. I could feel this probably going in a different direction where it should be more of like a collaboration based sort of thing that you can do with different distilleries Mm -hmm. because to be able to start a brand and continually monitor, manage it, nurse it, continue it to go for for long time and decades. That's not something that maybe is at the top of mind of a lot of celebrities, unless they've really seen the fizzle out happen. And they're like, okay, I've got to be all in on this thing because this is what's going to keep me going for the rest of my life. Yeah. But for the most part, you see like what, what Chef Lee did. And, you know, he, he paired with Jefferson's at one point. He did a lot of stuff with the Lee Initiative for Maker's Mark. He is somebody that could easily come out with his own whiskey because he's a chef. He loves taste. He talks about bourbon all the time. He's done a cookbook on bourbon. He could easily do it, yet he hasn't jumped into that realm yet. And so you you could see that happening with some other distilleries to say, and actually I think there was one from Oak and Eden that was out of Texas area. Like they worked with uh, Penny and Sparrow. They worked with the guy with the mustache from Yellowstone. Stephen <laughs> Ponte? voice like this. No, yes. no, yes. no. I, I can't. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can't remember the name. I t- no, you're, wait, are you talking about an actor or? Yes, the, the actor. Guy? Oh, I thought you were talking about the distillery. No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah, was the, uh, the, he was also in, um, trying to do his voice and I can't do it very well, but he was also in um, Tombstone. Voices. Tombstone. Tombstone. Yes, 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 yes. Elliot. Something Elliot. Yeah. Sam Elliot. Duke. Sam Elliot. Yeah, okay, there Sam it is. Sam Elliot. I was like, say, I was at Duke Ellington. I was like, wait Duke, a minute. That's, Duke Ellington. That's, that's the jazz that's his name. <laughs> but no, I mean, you see stuff like that. Like, that's more of a collaboration. And I could see, because they did their own sort of special blends, special sort of things. They could market it a different way. They probably get some little spiffs and a little residual from it. And that's good. But to be able to start a brand, nurture it, care for it, flood the shelves with it, that's a different thing. Okay, so I looked it up because I had to. Timothy Oliphant. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Could not think of his name for anything. Timothy Oliphant, justified. All right. Continue. I'm glad that you're happy, Chad. Was, Thanks for interrupting. Super bugging <laughs> me. Yeah, I, I would. I could. I could see you over there. You're about to have a brain aneurysm. Squirming. <laughs> like, are these lights hot? It's like this every day. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. Um. <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, back to like the the uh, oversaturation thing. Are people going to get tired of it? I think a lot of a lot of times we think in our mindsets, you know, the people who have this wall of bourbon that I'm looking at right now. And, and, but there's also those people who are just buying Jim Beam 80 proof or Evan Williams 86 or whatever it is that their toe won't ever even dip into the, the craft or not even craft. We were talking about like sourced, um, you know, MGP stuff and others like it. How about just out of anything out of that realm that's above $20? Exactly. Right. Because they'll never be a sourced or craft since we've also been talking about that that would get anywhere close to their Four Roses 80 proof or their Jim Beam uh, white label or anything like that. And, you know, Jim Beam white label being the best-selling bourbon out there. 
and that's not one i don't see it on your bar um you know it's like <laughs> I actually have a dusty of it in the back sure well, there you go. Yeah. yeah but that's not one that like you know you and i and, and probably a lot of people listening are are going for it because we've moved on to to other things so i would love to have that broken down as a, as a statistic you know I mean, I'm sure that they have, having come from a marketing background, they have like customer personas, right? Of people who buy bourbon. And like, if I, if I were working in that, I would call what the people that you're describing, like lifers who commit to a bottle, like someone who drinks Maker's Mark, regular 90 proof, that's what they're going to drink for their whole life. That's what they grew up drinking. That's what their parents drank. And that's what they're going to continue to drink until they die. And like, they might try something else every now and then, but like, that's the thing that they're going to go back and buy. I don't think that any marketing team, whether it be big distilleries or craft distilleries or anybody is really going after that person because they're kind of just locked in on, they're going to do what they're going to do. You're not going to convince them to spend, like you said, more than 20 or 30 bucks to buy some fancy limited edition thing or some you might get them on a celebrity whiskey if it's some a band that they like or something like that. But otherwise, they're not they're not going to you're looking at more of the, the explorer or the connoisseur or like the collector whose curiosity you can pique with these new brands and these stories. That's the person I think they're going after. But I think that those people are educated, right? They know how to read a label. So you're only going to get them a few times with, like you said, mediocre stuff at a higher price point before they become wise to it and, and stop drinking it. So like, how do those things have a long bottle career? Like, how do they how do they last? Yeah, and you make a good point too, because the, the idea of the curiosity of the general public, I think is starting to grow as well. We've seen the bourbon consumer market, like a hockey stick, like that's kind of, and I would say the one thing that gives me a little bit of like security when I'm thinking about all this is that you see all the investments that all these distilleries are making. Nobody's slowing down. In fact, they're all speeding up because they see this going much, much further. So they must have a crystal ball that we're not seeing, mm -hmm. right? That's that's the other thing that, you know, we we look at it from a very purist, we're like a one percenters perspective. Right. And that's, I'm sure all of our listeners and watchers are the same exact way, but there's all those people that come and visit the trail, they go and they're local distilleries in Oregon or California or whatever. And they're not the ones that are listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos. They're just like, oh, well, cool. Let's go see what this other whiskey distillery is doing today. Mm -hmm. So you have this general curiosity start growing in the public, but hopefully that does continue because we don't want to see the oversaturation. We want to see just enough saturation. Just enough. Yeah. But you know, the other thing I was thinking about is like, and I think it's something that you sort of alluded to earlier, Sarah, is like, if there's this competition for space on shelves and you say you have five brands that are all five-year MGP, is the natural process going to work itself out? I don't see a whole lot of labels failing and just dying off. There might be, you know, I'm sure there's got to be some, right? But I think there was one called Big Ass Bourbon a oh, while yeah. ago. Is that finally gone? I mean, I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> wow. oh, okay. It just had a donkey on it. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh, we have a bottle. That was, we have a bottle that was 50 that. under 25, I think. <laughs> yeah. Once upon a um, time. <laughs> not good. But, you know, so yeah, I'm sure there are ones out there, but Somebody's don't really. Back. Somebody's gonna come back and be like, "Nope, it's I, all it's on the shelves." That's all. I, I got it right here, <laughs> breaking it right now. You don't see a whole lot of or hear a whole lot of stories about uh, a label just folding because they just couldn't wiggle their way in. Well, I mean, I know obviously that's apples to oranges a bit, but I mean, if you if you look at wine, how many probably hundreds of thousands of wine labels are there? I mean, if you just Google map wineries in in California, like the map is covered with dots, like. I would call that oversaturation, but they're doing just fine. So, and like a store can't carry every single wine label there is, but they still survive. So I don't know. I mean, it, we're saying it's oversaturated, but I don't think that bourbon is anywhere near what wine is. Well, that's also going to fold into another much longer conversation of how those wineries are able to stay in business because they bake it onto tourism and mm -hmm. they also are able to do wine clubs and direct to consumer shipping, which we can't really do too much with spirits. So mm -hmm. it, it it's a... See, it's all this circular, vicious kind of like motion that we yeah. just can't get out of here. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. Oh, man. So much, yeah, on legislation. Yeah, but we don't want to talk about that. But, you know, <laughs> Chad and Sarah, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing yeah, our pleasure. your story, more about your channel, more about your history and talking about this market and sort of what we where we see things going as well. So before we sign off, give people an idea of where they can go, subscribe, follow you and everything like that as well. Sure thing. Uh, the main place would be youtube.com slash it's bourbonite. Really appreciate a subscribe there. As far as social media, we're most active on Instagram, 
we have a Twitter, but <laughs> we do not have a Twitter. Actually, we do have a Twitter. Oh well, okay. Well, <laughs> but we don't, don't really. follow us don't there. Follow, apparently. Don't follow. Don't expect anything. Uh, you know, we're in the shadow of TikTok greatness over here, but we are on TikTok. You have inspired us. You uh, have. Inspired although I expect us. a lot of negative comments on there too, so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> we're just dabbling right now. Of course, we have a Patreon as as well. Uh, we've been getting into the barrel pick business, and that's where we uh, release those. And then, uh, lastly, we have our store, which is whiskeyambitions.com. So, t-shirts, hats, hoodies, glassware, candles, coins pins all that fun stuff all that fun stuff at it's, some point uh, you're gonna start shipping staves i mean staves. It, everything's gonna be on you want it we'll ship it there you no. go exactly <laughs> no that's yeah that's not the model we're gonna, uh, over, we're gonna oversaturate our store <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah uh but just real quick just want to say th- first of all thank you for having us on really do appreciate it uh this is a great podcast mm. listen to it a lot and you all you all kill it well, thank you so much. And like I said, I know Fred or Ryan wasn't here, but we're all fans of the show, your show and their channel and everything like that that you all do. And it's been fun to watch us all kind of grow together because we all kind of started a little bit around the same exact time. And I've been very impressed to see your all's basically domination inside of the YouTube space. It's really cool to, to see that happen. So congratulations on all your success as well. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank, yes. Yes. So make sure you follow them. Also follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, but we're not near as big as it's Bourbon Night. But you can also subscribe there and you can kind of see our video teasers as well as Whiskey Quickies. And also if you like the show, make sure you share it with a friend and that's the best way to share the good word of bourbon. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>